Hey there and welcome to Fill Me Up. I'm Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your filmic discussions such as trailers. Do we need them? Um, Obviously, now I know what you're going to say because obviously yes we do need them. But what I'm proposing is that you get these big films like Avengers Endgame, Star Wars Episode 9, Toy Story 4. People are going to see the people know that they're going to see these films or they're not going to see these films. A trailer for one of those films isn't going to persuade someone to see it. Like you're not going to watch a trailer for Episode 9, uh, Star Wars Episode 9 and go, yep, I'm in. I've never seen a Star Wars film before, but this has just grabbed me. There's something about this that I just want it in. Like you're not going to do that. So what I'm saying is that you don't really need a trailer for films like that. Um, now, I know you obviously need trailers for films that, like original films, that people don't really know about. Um, just because you need to sort of tell people about them and show them what, advertise it to them so that they'll go and see it. Um, so, but there's, but on the other hand, you also have way too many trailers, way too much information, and uh, it sort of ruins the film, or it can ruin the film, and a lot of people... Um, I, well, I especially try and avoid trailers as much as possible, and a lot of people I know avoid trailers as much as possible. Um, so what I am propose, Hollywood, if you're listening, if you're one of the uh, two people listening, uh, is that you have, for each film, you have like a 20-second teaser that has no footage in it whatsoever. It's just sort of abstract stuff, and it's just the title and the logo. And you maybe have some dialogue in the background, some uh, some taglines or whatever. Um, and it's just a, like a 20-second teaser and it has the date on it as well. So for films like uh, Star Wars or Avengers or whatever, you have you can get people excited about it and you have the date, you have the title, you get some information, you get some hype built up around that. And you don't get... Like, there's nothing given away in that. But then... And you maybe have that, I don't know, like three months before the film and then like a month before it comes out, I guess, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, a month before it comes out, you have like a one minute trailer and that's it. So you have your 20 second teaser and then you have a one minute trailer and in the trailer, you can only have footage from the first hour. So there's no, spo- so there's no like last minute plot twists are in there. There's no like ending bits in there. It's just the first hour and uh just to make it more exciting and just to when you go into the cinema or you go into theater or you watch it at home or whatever there's surprises in there and you don't get spoiled by everything because in this sort of day and age it's really easy to get spoiled by stuff and but also people are trying not to get spoiled by stuff more than ever um so i think that's a that will to me that will be like the perfect thing um because if you have no idea what the film's about you get your little teaser and you're like oh this looks interesting then you watch your trailer that's got the first hour in it and you're like oh this is uh this actually looks pretty good so i'm I'm gonna go see this so i reckon that will be the best way um but let me know what you think um because uh i'm just a guy sat in a room so yeah let me know what you think um so anyway this i I apologise because this is a little later than I was hoping to uh, record this. Um, I actually wanted to record this a couple of days ago, but um, life happens, and uh, I'm still I'm new to this, so I'm still getting used to the time management. Kids, time management it's important. Um, but I will be getting another episode out this uh, by the end of the week, uh, Pacific Standard Time. So I'll uh, by the end of Sunday. Um, so I mean, if you're elsewhere. Um, because actually I live in Canada, even though I'm from the UK, I live in Canada. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'll try and get it out by the end of Sunday, Pacific Standard Time, which will um, be whatever time it is where you are. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, I will, and that will be a, a wrap-up of uh, all the, well, some of the films from April, uh, some of the biggest films, the films that I've seen, and I'll talk about some on the top. There'll be spoilers in that, um, and there will be, I'll do like a top three, um, I think. Um, so yeah, uh, speaking of films from April, I this week I've been a very busy boy and I've actually seen three films uh, at the cinema in a week, which is uh, which is quite a, it's a big thing. Um, so uh, at the weekend I saw Avengers. 
I'm not going to say anything at all. Uh, the only thing I will say is that it, it's bloody good. So go watch it. Um, that's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything at all. Uh, just because people don't want spoilers. And it's a very spoilerific film. So I'm just not going to go there. Um, I'll go there next week. Um, so you need to just go out and watch it. And then I don't spoil it for you. Uh, the other two films that I did see though. That I will talk about are Missing Link and Hellboy. Which are two very, very different films. Missing Link is a very family-friendly film. And Hellboy is definitely not a family-friendly film. It's, I didn't even realise it was an 18, but it is. It's, and it uh, makes the use of it. Uh, or R-rated, or whatever, whatever rating you have. So, Missing Link, uh, I'll talk about first. It's uh, Yeah, it's a very enjoyable film. It's a nice, light-hearted film. I've seen... I've not. It's by Leica Studios, who may... They do stop-motion animation uh, it's like the only studio to do stop motion animation feature films really recently um and the last one they did was kubo and the two strings uh which i it was fine i i wasn't amazed by it but it was fine uh this one i actually really liked though missing link um uh the i so to do the film sort of film equation that i do um i would say that it's walsh and gromit uh specifically because of the wire rabbit Plus Indiana Jones, just pick any of them. Plus Finding Nemo. Um, so from Walsh and Gromit, you'd take it's obviously got that stop motion vibe, and the tone is quite similar. It's not quite as so Walsh and Gromit's got very British humour, and there's a lot of gags in there um, that are yeah, it's just very British humour. And this one, I don't know whether like is a British company, but I wouldn't say it's got it's similar in tone. But the and it does have a lot of gags in it, but they're not necessarily British humour. It's just humour and comedy in general. Um, so uh, that's why it takes from so yes, yeah, so that's that. And then in, from Indiana Jones, it's it's uh, like a globe trotting thing. So uh, basically, this like the missing link is taking uh, the like Sasquatch. So it's sort of the the missing link between apes and humans in the evolutionary chain uh but he's lonely so he wants to find a home uh basically with the yetis which is on like the other side of the globe or whatever so yes you've got that globe trotting adventure sort of style with indiana jones and with finding nemo you've got that trying to get home that sort of adventure and trying to just just survive and make it to the place that you want to go to they're not trying to do anything major they're not trying to get a holy grail or anything they're just trying to get home just trying to find them a home so it's it's a good little film it's got a lot of humor in it it's very it's very nice it's charming and um, i'd definitely recommend it it's a lot of fun um the trailers are the trailers are very uh indicative of what the film is they nail the tone quite well and um, there's a little ukulele playing in it and it that just fits really well so yeah if you're not sure go and watch the trailers there's, there are quite a few gags in there um, but there's nothing really spoiler in there, in there. I mean, it's not really a spoilery film, to be honest. But I mean, like, yeah, the only thing you'll get is like a, a few of the funny bits are already in there. So, but there's quite a lot in there. So there's no harm in watching a trailer. Maybe not watch both of them. Just watch one. Um, but they, the trailers do match that sort of tone of adventure um, and a bit of lightheartedness and goofiness. So, yeah, no, it's really good. I'd recommend it. Um, the other film that I watched, Hellboy, um, is also, I really liked it. A lot of people don't like it. A lot of critics don't like it. Um, but I do. I, I loved it. It was, well, I loved it's a strong word. I really liked it. I enjoyed it and had a good time. It's dumb. Um, and it's not a good film, but it's, and it's dumb, but it's, I liked it a lot. There's a lot of problems with it, but it's got a lot of good things in it. Um, I'd say for the equation, it will be Suicide Squad, but in a good way, uh, plus Doom, plus Pan's Labyrinth. So Pan's Labyrinth, it's got that fantasy element, um, especially towards the end. It's got these big, these fantastical creatures, um, probably not to the style of like Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy films, but it's definitely got that sort of thing going on. And uh, Suicide Squad, it's, it's got um, that sort of ragtag, bunch of people um and even in suicide squad it does have some fancy elements in it especially towards the end um and it sort of reminded me a little bit of that at times 
and then Doom, it's got, it sort of has that sort of tone, um, but it's uh, more, and it's got that, a lot of gore in it, so that's why it would sort of fit in that mold, but it, and even with Suicide Squad, it's got sort of this sort of um, kind of lightheartedness, kind of bantery tone to it. Um, it's really, I liked it. It's definitely not for everyone, and the trailers, I would say, it's got weird choices of music in there, and it does ruin a few of the things that are a bit that like you would expect the film to sort of surprise you with. But I mean, it's a dumb film, and it's it like you probably won't be that bothered about it. So if you want to go into it completely fresh, don't watch any trailers. But if you're not that bothered about it, which you probably aren't, then feel free to watch it. The music doesn't really fit that well to me. The music in the film, people talk about it not really fitting, but I liked it. It's got a lot of rock music in it, which I loved. So um, yeah, it's I'd, it's worth watching, um, but it's, obviously it's not for everyone. So if you, if you think you'd like it, it's worth a watch, but if you think you're not going to like it, you're probably not going to like it. And it's definitely, it's not like the Hellboy films, the other two Hellboy films that have been and gone. And it's very much uh, an, a more adult version of that. So if you grew up watching the Hellboy films like I did, then it's sort of the film for you, I guess. Um, and the film for me. But uh, yeah, so that was good, and I had a good time at all three of those films that I've watched this this week, and yeah, I'll probably talk about them more next week in more detail, uh, talk about some plot points and what worked and what didn't and whatever. Uh, but this week, um, Craig, we're already like halfway through, uh, Craig, this week um, I watched two more films, and you may have watched them as well. And those are the Tron films. Uh, so this week we're looking at the duology um, in a segment I like to call Two Birds with One Stone because I love duologies. I love the briefness of them. I love the fact that there's not 22 films to watch before you have to watch the next one. As much as I love the MCU, it can be a bit intimidating. So Tron, I, I'd never watched the first one, but I have watched the second one in the cinema. Couldn't really remember a lot of the plot though, so um, yeah, it was interesting watching it. Um, I'll talk about Tron first. So it came out in 1982, and it looks like it came out in 1982. Um, it was praised at the time for its special effects, and it, people thought it was sort of robbed um, because it didn't get an Oscar nomination for visual effects, even though like everyone lauded it, and because they thought it was. It was said to be like cheating because it was one of the first films to use proper sort of CGI. And because they'd used computers, they thought the Academy and everyone was like, no, that's cheating because it was the first film to do it. So, which is a bit unfortunate. Um, but it was a brave decision and it was ambitious um, to use that much CGI. And it sort of, it, I imagine at the time it would have been groundbreaking revolutionary. Obviously, because that's what it seems to be. But other than that, I'm watching it now. It's kind of aged quite poorly. And it's... Because of the nature of it, especially, like, the real world stuff is obviously fine. But when you go into the grid and into the digital world, it's very... It it, it sort of needs some more real-life sets. Um, It's obviously a lot of green screen, but it's almost all green screen it looks like and it feels like it will benefit just from some real life sets to work around and just to take a bit of that away just so it doesn't age as poorly um but it it works and it's fine it doesn't detract from it too much it just looks like a it looks like a fan film now almost because of the way that it looks but it's fine, and I imagine it would have been great at the time. And I don't really have anything against it, because it's just, it, it, that's what it is. That's what it was like at the time. And talking about uh, what it is like at the time, films of that time, there's a lot of, it sort of 
to me, one thing that struck me was that it lacked music. So music obviously makes a lot of difference in films. It sort of raises the tension, builds suspense, and sort of helps with your emotion and helps you immerse in it. But films of like the 80s, 70s, 80s, they just, they don't have as much. And they don't have a lot of panning shots. There's just a lot of shots of just, uh, just a person behind a desk and them just doing something for like 10 minutes and then like, we'll move to something else. But it'll just be a, like a smash cut to something else. And just a person walking down a corridor with nothing. All you hear is them walking down the corridor. Which can be effective. But it helps to have the music in there for some tension. And like the times it does have it in there, it works to an extent. But it's just not quite there. Um, but I think that's that again is sort of... it's It's a bit harsh to say that it's diminishes it because that's just what it is at the time that's what it was like in the 70s and 80s that's how films were made and films now are made differently and i imagine in 20 30 years time films will be made even more differently so and music may be gone again i don't know so yeah it's not a massive criticism of it it's just an observation that i made especially when you look at the new one and one thing that i did find was that it's kind of confusing. It's hard to follow. There's a lot of a lot of technical jargon. They're talking about obviously they're talking about programs and users, which is easy to follow. But and they talk about the master control program and things like this. But then they mention all sorts of other bits, mainframes, and things. And it, like it's hard to follow now. And we live in a digital age, and we live in these sort of times where people know a lot of stuff about digital things so back then i have no idea how you would follow it especially as a kid because this is a disney film don't forget this is a film that's pretty much primarily catered towards kids and i don't know how they'd follow it um because i struggled to follow it at times there's a lot of stuff that you can sort of hand wave and just be like that's i don't know that's something they're just after some mcguffin or they're they need to get to some place and that's it or escape this machine or something like that. It's a, it's fine, but it's also, uh, it's a, yeah, it just makes it hard to follow, and that's, it's not a big criticism of it. Again, I feel like I'm defending this film more than I should do. It's, I don't find I, I'm defending it because I feel like it was good at the time and it's aged poorly. And so I'm watching it through like 2019's glasses, whereas it, I should should have been watching it through 1982's glasses. So it's it's fine, but it's got a lot of problems, and one of them is this is the plot in terms of like trying to piece it together and uh, and kind of I guess some of the delivery um, as well. But I mean I'm I struggle to. Uh, differentiate between act good acting and bad acting at times there's obviously it's obviously like if you watch the room or whatever that there's really clearly bad acting but um a lot of the time i struggle in terms of hollywood films to pick out bad acting and good acting so um i've that's off topic anyway um let me look at my notes yeah so it obviously got no Oscar nomination for visual effects, but it did get Oscar nominations for costumes and sound, which it's fair, I guess. Costumes has obviously got a lot of them in there. Um, a lot of them, they obviously had, I don't know whether it's some filter or makeup or whatever, it's probably a combination of the two, because everyone looked in the grid or in the main, the digital world or whatever they call it, is uh, basically they're blue, um, which it it has a weird effect because you because everyone's wearing the same outfit pretty much and they're the only thing that differentiates them is whether their lights are blue or red and they're basically blue and it's hard to tell feet it's can be quite hard to tell features probably under makeup and filters and whatever it can be quite hard to distinguish between characters i found at times and maybe that's something that the directing would have helped with um, just to sort of get some consistency in that and being able to follow it. I guess that's part, that's another reason why it was quite hard to follow at times. But again, 
they did the best they could at the time, I guess. But the newer film definitely helps with being able to follow along and being able to differentiate between people. Um, so, yeah, the biggest thing that I found from this film, the probably the biggest gripe that I had with this film all the way through, is so Kevin Flynn, played by Jeff Bridges, is the main character and is the main protagonist of this film. But he's, he's not a nice person. He's such... I'm trying to keep it clean. Um, he's just not a likeable person. He There's a big point at the end where it's sort of the climax and he's... For some reason, he's a god. I don't know why, but... It makes sense in the first film because he's a user in this world of programs. So he's a god amongst men, essentially. Men and women. So... That makes sense, and it's all fine. This is getting off topic again, and we're going forwards. But in the second film, no, Sam Flynn, spoiler alert, Sam Flynn, his son, goes into the grid as well. But he doesn't have any of these godlike powers, which, and only Kevin Flynn does, which doesn't really make sense to me. I will talk about it later, but I, that was the thing that kind of, Maybe a bit confused, but yeah, my biggest thing was that Kevin Flynn is just not a likable character. And there's the bit at the end is the big climax, and he's doing this godlike thing, going into the uh, the main the master control program bit, uh, so that Tron can throw a disc in and sabotage it and send out good frequency airwaves or whatever. And just before that, he kisses. The female, to, so the way it works is the, if you make a program in real life, that program manifests itself as like an avatar of you. So you, so it looks like you. So, um, his friend, so Kevin Flynn, his friend called Alan, uh, I can't remember what his second name was. Alan, uh, played by Bruce Boxleitner. He makes a program called Tron. It's a security program. And so Tron, uh, obviously the, you would think the protagonist of the film, but not necessarily, makes the, it may, he looks like Alan in real life. So, he look, so he's played by Bruce Boxliner. And Alan has a girlfriend who also works at Encom, which is the company that they all work for. Um, which is, uh, which is, Basically, it should be Kevin Flynn's company because he built... It's a video games company and Kevin Flynn made these video games. But they were stolen by uh, Dillinger, who is now the CEO or whatever of Encom. And because he claimed that he made all these video games, not Kevin Flynn. So Flynn has gone to the grid and he's trying to, he's been trying to find proof uh, for years that he made the games, not Dillinger. And then he ended up going into the grip action. So, Alan's girlfriend, who also works at Encom, the video games company, has also built some sort of program. She, I assume, uh, she also has some sort of program in there. So, she has a manifest, like an avatar in there as well. And her and Tron are together as their human counterparts are as well. So when Flynn goes into this to the grid and to the digital world, he actually at the end he kisses uh the girlfriend, even though she's already with it with Tron or Al slash Alan, and it's very strange. It's just like it comes out of nowhere. It's sort of like the oh we need to kiss like it's almost like that's what it was at the time and that's how people were like you need to have this romantic subplot in there but it didn't like also it it, it wasn't a romantic subplot there wasn't really anything there any before and it's very strange and it just comes out of nowhere and you just like it just compounds on this thing that he just seems like uh he just yeah oh i'm really struggling not to say something but yeah he just seems really but like just not a nice person just seems like he 
just not nice to his friends. Um, so yeah, there was that's like one of the key points that I found that. But just all the way through the film, he's very sarky to his friends. He's very um, he just puts them down all the time and undermines them. And yeah, it's just I don't know why they're friends with him. And they're trying to help him. I'd just be like, you deserve what you get. Well, no, you don't necessarily deserve what you get, but I don't sympathize with you too much. So, but anyway, it's, and basically at the end, um, all the good stuff happens. And at the end, the Kevin Flynn gets his proof. He finds the proof in the uh, mainframe. And when he comes back to the real world, that then is printed out because they destroy the mass control program, which was hiding all this proof. And so the so Flynn finds it, and that is sort of shown as like a readout. Well, no, it's shown as a printout originally, and then it's shown as a readout on Dillinger's desk, and he's like, "Oh no!" But the it's very weird. It's like someone's just typed in. All it is this proof is program originally developed by Kevin Flynn program like adopted by whatever Dillinger which was just and it's just very weird like I know that date like that's how you sort of get data nowadays and but but it's just like anyone could have typed that and then just print it. it's like someone's just typed a thing on notepad or word and just printed that out and gone yep that's the proof it's very strange and so, but whatever, that's what it is. Um, but yeah, um, it was it was fun, but it was aged poorly, and like I didn't enjoy it that much. It was fine, but whatever. Uh, it made it was made on a seventeen million dollar budget, and it made thirty three million dollars at the box office. So it didn't. Qu- so generally, you want to make twice the amount of budget to break even because uh, of marketing, but. So it didn't quite make that. So uh, Disney saw it as a bit of a loss, which is why they took so long to make a sequel from it. Um, but people kind of liked it. It got 71% on Rotten Tomatoes and 6.8 on IMDb. So people liked it. Critics liked it. People liked it. Um, so, yeah. So moving on. Turn on the page. Uh, the second film, Tron Legacy. Man, I've been going a while. Um, Tron Legacy. Um, I liked it a lot more. Um, I saw it back when it came out of the cinema, I think. Uh, but like I said, I didn't actually remember anything from it that much. I remember the little bits of flashes, but it seems like it, the plot again, the plot is kind of quite similar when you think about it. It's very, uh, so basically at the start, it frames it quite well. So the thing with Tron, the first one, it just sort of throws you into it and doesn't give you a lot of, it, do, it does it does to be to its credit, it does actually have like the bit in the real world at the start that explains that Dylan just stole the game re- the rights to the games and whatever and took over the company and all this stuff, and that film is trying to find it. But uh, when Flynn gets into the mainframe, he's just like, "This is fine." Like he's not questioning what's going on, or so you as the audience don't understand what's going on because he. He either a understands it already because he knows all this stuff, or he doesn't care, which because of the way that he is and he's just such a he just seems very arrogant and cocky. I it could be either of those two, or probably a com, probably more likely a combination. But when you watch Tron Legacy, it does a very good way at setting up uh, Sam Flynn. And what's happened to Kevin Flynn since the first film? Almost so you don't need to watch the first film. Like it's it, you could very easily watch the second film on its own, and it will still work. Um, there's lots of little payoffs if you kind of watch it, watch them both, but you don't need to. Um, so the second one, uh, it does a good way of setting up Sam Flynn, and like I was saying, he he doesn't know what's going on. Like, he he's very technical-minded still, and he knows a lot. Uh, right at the start, you see him got breaking into Encom and sabotaging their launch of their newest operating system. And so he obviously knows his way around uh, computers and technical stuff, but he 
doesn't necessarily but when he go he is transported into the grid he doesn't know what's going on and so you as the audience can relate to him more and he's just more likable he does he's a bit of a loner and he is a bit soggy but he's just likable he's not and he's charming he's not he doesn't seem arrogant and cocky he just seems quite confident it's a very fine line between cocky and confident and he just seems confident but not too overconfident. So when he goes into the grid, he's sort of like, oh, I don't know what's going on. But then there's the bit later on where he gets a light cycle. And at the start, he you see a motorcycle chase after he breaks into Income Tower and sabotages their presentation. He escapes on a motorbike. And you see him. And so when he goes into the grid and they have the light cycles, he's like, oh, yeah, I can do this. This is something I can do. Which is fine, like that's like he's confident and he's sure of himself and sure of his skills. But like just in general, this is a weird environment he's never been in, and he's he holds himself tall and proud and stuff. But he doesn't know what's going on, and he knows that, and so he's like, "Oh, I'm not sure about this." So I just liked him more as a person, and I think I just I guess maybe I related to him more, especially when I watched it because he was younger, even though he's like the same age that I'm now. So. Yeah, the visual effects are way, way, way better, which you would expect from a film that's 30 years after the original. And I think it definitely looks like they use more real-life sets. It looks... So, I don't know whether this is just because... Because the way that they've sort of framed it is that Kevin Flynn got stuck in... He went back in to... uh, So, he created Clue, who... Is a program to that is meant to create the perfect system, and that is an avatar of Kevin Flynn. And so Kevin Flynn uh, goes in and he's basically trying to help and make the grid and make this like a perfect system. So he keeps going in there, but he gets trapped in there at one point by Clue, basically, who has turned heel because he who's turned bad because the perfect system doesn't include Flynn, basically. And, like, what their two visions of the perfect system are different as all these things happen. Which I think is irresponsible of Flynn, of Kevin Flynn, because he's a programmer. He knows this, this, the binary nature of programs. He should know to be very, very specific, and you can't use a word like perfect, because perfect is actually, like, an impossible goal. So he was stupid, and he learns that at the end, but... Uh, I think he sh- should have known that anyway. And he just compounds the fact that I just don't like this character. So, the visual effects are way, way better. It, yeah, well, as, I was, as I was saying, the grid basically is being built by Flynn and Clue with the help of Tron. And the... I think it's sort of meant to be like a city. So I think originally... I could be wrong, but I feel like the original Tron... It's not the grid and it's just a mainframe and it's just kind of a mismatch of whatever and they didn't have any idea of what it's supposed to look like. Whereas in the second one, it's built and it's sort of architected by... Is that a word? I don't know. It's a word now. It's planned by Flynn and so it's meant to look like a city, which means that they can use more real-life sets, which I think helps a lot because basically they've almost taken like real-life sets I mean, they may have green screened it and they've made it just look like real life sets, but it actually looks like they've taken a room, kind of covered it in black and put these lights around them and it sort of works. So there's obviously a lot of green screen and going to be involved in it, but it just really works and it, it holds up a lot. The only thing that I would say that doesn't hold up is the de-aging of Kevin Flynn because a program doesn't age but a person does. So when you go into the grid, Clue, who is made by Flynn, looks like Ke- looks like Jeff Bridges from 1980, or is supposed to look like Jeff Bridges from 1982, or three or whatever. And whereas Kevin Flynn now looks like Jeff Bridges was then, in 2010. So it, obviously, Kevin Flynn looks like 30 years older than Clue, which means that Clue was Jeff Bridges, but he had to be de-aged to look like 1980. And it's... There's been a lot of de-aging now uh, with films recently, 
and it looks good. But there's a lot of but back in 2010, didn't look good. It looked pretty shoddy. It's the only special effect in that film that actually took me out of it. Especially right at the start, there's a, like a, it's him in the real world talking to Sam Flynn as a seven year old, and they're both together. And it's meant to be like a hot, like quite a heartwarming thing and a tender moment and stuff. But it's just this kid talking to what looks like a video game character. It's very off-putting, and it looks like a video game character from a cutscene, and it's it's not great. But th- that aside, the special effects are great, and the music, as we were saying before, the music is great. It's by Daft Punk, which just fits perfectly. It's so good. It works so well, and they make a cameo in it, and it works. Everything about the music is just great, and it it elevates the film so much, and it's such a such an inspired choice to get them to do it. And it, you needed something like that in the nineteen eighties, I think, to make it just elevate it that much more. And yeah, like I say, the plot again it works on its own. You don't have to watch it, um, watch the first one, but it helps a lot. And you sort of get like nods to stuff and you're like, oh, that's that kind of big tower machine, the floating machine, I can't remember what they're called, that take people, that chase people, that, that's that and that's these things and you've got the red things and the other blue things and, and it works and it, it fits and it, it's nice, but you don't need to have watched it. And I'd almost say don't watch the first one. If you're, like, if hopefully you'll have watched them both to listen to this, but if you haven't, then you don't need to bother with the first one. Just watch the second one because the first one doesn't age that well. As long as, as much as people love it from the time, it doesn't hold up that well. Whereas the second one, the only thing that doesn't hold up is the de-aging of Kevin Bridges, which you can sort of work past. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it's it's good and it works. And, I mean, the plot, it's not necessarily that remember, memorable because obviously I didn't, remember it from when I watched it originally though it was like 10 years ago so it but it has like memorable set pieces and special effects and stuff like I remembered bits and pieces and the it does like the light cycle thing I remember because it's just such a good scene like even the first one the first one was pretty good scene and it's just elevated by the special effects and they just up it and they cut to like the close-ups are really good and there's yeah, it just works so much better, I would say. Um, but the plot is almost quite... It's quite similar, really. Because they both get sucked into this world. They both get put in the grid and the games. And so they both have to do... They start doing this disc challenge where they're throwing discs at each other and then they go on to do the light cycles. And then they escape on the light ci- cycles. And then, yeah, it's very... It's, it's quite similar, but... It, I think the second one just is better, in my opinion. Um, I think it's, I'm swayed by the fact that it's newer, but uh, but whatever. Um, yeah, like I was saying, like the thing that I thought about that I was saying before with Kevin Flynn being a god, but no other users, because Sam Flynn is also a user, but he just bleeds and he doesn't have any of these godlike powers in there. So Kevin Flynn can sort of like recharge people and bring people, well, recharge programs and bring them back and affect things. And whereas, and you see that in the second one, he like, uh, yeah, he like helps people. And he, there's a bit at the end where I think it's because they mention it in the film, but he's, but I think it's because they're, user and the program that they created are linked then they can sort of combine but it destroys themselves it's like matter and antimatter i think but it's very i find it strange that kevin flynn has these sort of godlike powers but sam flynn doesn't seem to have them um it's almost like a thing from the first film that doesn't flow over to the second one but like i say if you watch the first, second film on its own it's fine it doesn't really make that much difference the other thing I loved from this film was uh, there's a secondary villain called Rinsler who's like the henchman of Clue and 
he's masked up the whole time. You can't see his face at all. And he's got two discs and it's very effective and he's he's just very, very cool. Looks a bit like uh, Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe, if you watch that. Which I might also talk about later in another one of these. But, um, man, I've been going a long time. I'm going to have to hurry up. And so, yeah, it rings us great. And later on, it basically turns out that he was that he was Tron all along. Because uh, you see at the start that Clue... Um, Detron basically fights Clue so that Flynn can escape after Clue is corrupted and turns and you think that Tron's dead basically but it turns out that he was just corrupted and turned bad by Clue and at the end he comes good and he crashes into Clue and he sort of drowns I think maybe but it, he's such a good character and he works and he I think I think he should have been in it more, really. I think they should have put more of this series on Tron. I think he's a good character and he, he works a lot better. And people like Bruce Boxleitner, he, that's like the thing that he's known for, I think. So I think that would have worked better if he would have been in it more. And especially towards the end, and you had more of him being good, turning good. Uh, you also had a Killian Murphy cameo as uh, Dillinger's son, who works for Encom which was great at the start, but he's only in it for like two minutes. And I think that's another thing that should have been in it more, but we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah, this film um, this film also got an Oscar nomination for sound editing, not for special effects or anything. So it's one of the more minor Oscars, but it's still a good, good, uh, nice to get noticed for stuff like that. Um, the sequel's actually started in 2005, um, after the kind of game, the first one became popular and got this cult following of people. I think it was kids that had grown up with it and they were sort of turning into adults and they were like, oh yeah, I remember that film, that was great. So I think that's when they started putting it into production. But Disney didn't actually greenlight it until the director, he filmed like a, what is called a high concept, which I think is like a pitch. So he filmed like what he would want. So apparently it was going to be some Matrix-esque sort of thing but uh the director joseph kaczynski he decided to he wanted to take it in sort of the, the direction that it's gone in and so he obviously filmed like a short film of it and put that out and disney were like yep that's great let's do that so they gave him a 170 million dollar budget and they pulled in 400 million dollars which is good that was that's really good um so they'd want they wanted to be like 340 mil so they made $60 million profit-ish. So it's good. It's not great. It's not amazing, but it's good. Um, you maybe want to... You'd maybe want to make it for less, possibly. Um, but yeah, this film actually didn't... Critics didn't like this one as much. They gave it 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. But um, people liked it just as much. It just got a 6.8 on IMDb, so... Who knows? Um, it's one of those things. I think it's just... Whichever one you sort of grew up with at the time is, and whenever you watch it at the time, times change. Like it's, I understand that Tron was probably a good film at the time, but now it doesn't have the same appeal. Whereas Tron Legacy is almost like the Tron that I would have had at that time. Um, so yeah, they were going to make a sequel to Tron Legacy. Um, it's one of those things of like, oh, it's happening. Oh no, there's rewrites. Uh, we'll start filming it later this year, all this sort of thing. But um, and it actually got to in 2015. It was all set to go. It was greenlit with uh, Garrett Hedlund, Olivia Wilde, and Bruce Boxleitner returning. Um, because obviously Bruce Boxleitner plays Alan as well in uh, in the real world setting. So even though he might not have been back as Tron, he probably would have been back as Alan. Um, so. They, it was quoted to be a direct continuation and uh, it was speculated that the Killian Murphy might be back as well. Um, so that would have been great. Uh, something I would have wanted to see. Um, but Disney ended up scrapping it. They were apparently playing it safe in quotation marks, but um, I don't know. Maybe because it only made a small bit of profit um, and they didn't think people... like It only got like sort of middling reviews people they didn't think it was going to make 
the people were going to come out for a sequel, which is sort of fair enough, but it's a bit disappointing. It's something I would have wanted to see. Um, uh, after that, Bruce Botchlightner decided that because of all the ups and downs and being like, yeah, it's on, it's not on, it's on, it's not on, that he he just doesn't want to do it anymore. He's not interested. Um, it's too much of a, like an emotional roller coaster. So he's no longer interested. But uh, back in 2017... Uh, Joseph Kaczynski, the director, said it's still happening. Tron three, still a go, maybe. Um, but it's but they were looking at having Jared Leto in the in it, uh, possibly leading it. Which I don't know. After Suicide Squad and whatnot, I don't know. But uh, we'll see. It's obviously not happened. Two years later, with there's nothing. There's not been any news. There's not been filming. So I can't imagine that they're really going to be pushing forward with it. Um, also, they made a they made an animated series that was one season. Uh, there was a spin-off. It was set in between the films. And they had Bruce Boxlander was back as Tron. And Olivia Wilde was back as Cora from Tron Legacy. And Elijah Wood was in it as uh, a new protagonist, which I don't have the name of. But uh, yeah, that's there. If you, uh, if you ever watch Tron and Tron Legacy, then uh, maybe watch that as well. I don't know. I I didn't, but um, I've heard I've heard it's all right, so could be worth doing it. Um, yeah, so that's everything about Tron. I've gone on for a long, long time, but um, yeah, just to wrap up, uh, talking about sequels that haven't happened or been in development hell. Um, what I want to know is what sequel. So this is a hypothetical question that I want to propose to the two of you out there um what sequel would you want to be made that hasn't been made so any sequel that's been re- there's been on this up and down sort of scale been in development hell is there any film any sequel that you would like to be made that hasn't been made um personally um i would have liked hellboy 3 as much as i loved hellboy um i really wanted a hellboy 3 um they're taking it in some good directions and it would have been nice just to have this trilogy, just to have a trilogy wrapped up around it. Um, as much as I like duologies, like it set up stuff, and it would have been an interesting way to go. And I love that sort of world. I grew up with that, so uh, it would have been good. But I mean, Guillermo del Toro wanted more money, and Lionsgate, I think it was, just didn't want to give him it. So, I guess is fair enough. But obviously, a reboot didn't work either. So maybe Hellboy Three would have been better. Who knows? Um, Dread Two. It's also a film that I really wanted to get made. Dread was great when it came out. I watched it in 3D. It's one of the only films that I actually liked in 3D because it had some stuff to with the slow-mo drug that actually worked and it sort of enhanced it, but uh, it just didn't make money. People didn't go and see it, which is such a shame because it's such a good film. And they're talking about making... There's, they've been talking of like, having it on TV and having a TV series with it, which would be great. I just want more Dread, basically. Um, another one uh, is World War Z 2, because I I like that film a lot. I love the book. Um, it's a really, really good book. The film is nothing really like the book. Um, and the there was talk of David Finch doing World War Z 2, which would be amazing. And I think they were talking about sticking closer to the book and cover or covering some stuff from the book um especially sort of yonkers which would be great um for those of you that've read the book it's such a good sort of chapter so that would have been great um i think that's still almost possible but who knows at this stage um yeah there's a couple of others that i want to talk that I'd wanted Spider-Man 4 from Sam Raimi with the Lizard and, or Vulture or whatever. Sherlock Holmes 3, which is apparently still happening, but who knows. Um, Expendables, which is like the female version of the Expendables, which would be great. Um, just, uh, it just, I, I don't mind those sort of um, male franchises, but let's have it all women instead. Like, I, I don't mind them. Ocean's 8, I liked a lot. Ghostbusters was fine. It's, I think it's a shame that females are having, like, female ensemble films have to take those sort of franchises and flip them, why they can't just have their own franchises. Um, but I sort of understand it, but it's, I think it's it's almost like society's fault, but 
just the way that we are at the moment and they need that sort of name that brand recognition behind it to try and get people excited so but I spend the bells would have been great um I think um but who knows I think that franchise is dead and buried now um a national treasure three just because I love those films which I also might talk about at some point um but yeah um next week I'm sorry this has gone on for so so long this is I did not realize it was going to take this long um but it's more stuff for you more content for you um next week I'm going to be talking about films that came out in April uh spoilers are going to be all over that so if you're bothered about uh the films that I've already mentioned Missing Link Hellboy Avengers Endgame uh Shazam that I saw the other week and Pet Cemetery, which I'm going to this week. If you're bothered about spoilers for any of those films, go and see them first if you can. Or um, I'm going to be putting time codes in, so you'll be able to skip to certain points of the episode. And I'll be talking about the top three films of the month as well, or my top three films of the month. Um, so, yeah, if you have anything that you would like to talk to me about, um, whether it's your reviews of films that have come out this month or what you thought of Tron uh, the Tron series or what sequels you want to be made or anything like that uh, or your thoughts on trailers or anything at all that you'd like to talk to me about films uh, you can contact me on Facebook at Film Me Up uh, if you just look yeah I think it's facebook.com slash film me up uh, just search it in your search bar or yeah, it's just a page. Yeah, just give us a like on that. Uh, you can contact me on that. Uh, you can send me an email at filmmeuppod at outlook.com. Also, you can find me on Twitter at alloutwalker. Uh, yeah, and if you want to get in touch with anything about the show, just give me the hashtag filmmeup and I'll be able to find it better. Um, thanks for listening and I hope to see you next week. Bye.